Well, hello and welcome to the Between Movements podcast, episode 18. I'm your host, Josh Feigren. It's been quite a while since I released episode 17. However, I have been more active on my YouTube and social media channels. You can find me there at josh.v.music. And going forward with this podcast, I'm going to try something a bit different, more of a strictly audio format, as the bulk of my editing time is taken up by editing videos. For today's topic, I'm going to be talking a bit more broadly about classical music. Do you consider yourself a fan of classical music? Maybe you're just curious and want to know more after hearing a piece that you liked in a movie or a show. Maybe you started liking classical after playing some pieces in a high school band or an orchestra. Now, whatever the case may be, I find this interesting trend among classical music fans. This tendency is that the love of, or at least the appreciation of classical music tends to grow over the course of time and not vice versa. Now, if we compare this to a lot of the phases that people go through in their teenage years, for me at least, I used to listen to a lot of hardcore or metal bands in high school, and now I listen to almost none. In fact, when I was in middle school and high school, I couldn't wait until I got home from school just to listen to these albums from my favorite bands and to try to learn the guitar solos by ear. If I was just listening to music and headphones in the car, I would keep rewinding sections that I liked, visualizing and figuring out how to play it for myself. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but the bulk of my focus was the electric guitar from about the time I was, well, I'd say between 11 to 15 years old. Guitar and rock music, as well as a host of other genres, remained a big part of my life through the end of high school and even into my college years, but gradually a lot of it began to fade. Now, this is not because I think that any of these other genres lack any validity or that they're not viable means of music making. I'm a pretty firm believer that any genre can hold artistic value, depending on the way that it is utilized. But now that I'm in my early 30s, I'd say 85%, maybe 90% of what I listen to is classical music. So what made me decide that I wanted to focus the bulk of my attention to the piano and specifically classical music, especially since I was involved with so many other genres. You know, I've been playing in churches since I was 12, on guitar, on bass, on drums. There was a phase where I was very into electronic music, especially as I was learning my way around DAWs for the first time on Pro Tools, on Logic. I looked a little bit into Ableton, and I've written a handful of songs in various genres either on acoustic guitar, electric guitar, keyboard, a mix of them. Some of them can be found on my YouTube channel, actually. Well, as I alluded to earlier, one of the reasons is that classical music is timeless. Over the years, I've began to realize that musical trends are incredibly short-lived, and with only rare exceptions, bands and recording artists seem to have a max of maybe a 10-year window where they're at their peak in terms of recording, touring, general popularity, etc., and then they're faced with this dilemma. Do they stick with their old sound and get labeled as stuck in the past, or do they try and change their sound to reflect the changing times and then risk being labeled as cheesy or sellouts or trying too hard to cater to the youth of a new generation? As a classical musician, I'm constantly browsing through this immense library of music spanning several centuries, and because it is a historical art form, there is no risk of being labeled as stuck in the past, with the exception maybe of modern classical compositions. It's not trying to be cutting edge. It is what it is. It's a part of human history that was beautiful, and more importantly, these masterpieces have stood the test of time. 
Now, of course, there's a lot lost in translation to us modern humans who can be a bit jaded by hearing recordings every single day. But even so, it's amazing to think that music from the 1600s or the 1700s can still move us in a similar way to how it moved people back in those historical times. Now, in addition to the fact that these styles are timeless because they represent a historical point, I've noticed as a musician that the sound of acoustic instruments never goes out of style. With all the advancement in technology, in synthesizers, in electric keyboards and electric guitars, the appeal of acoustic instruments has never gone out of phase. I believe that 100 years from now, people will still be playing acoustic guitars and acoustic pianos and acoustic violins, etc. Because there's something very visceral about playing an acoustic instrument that is not enhanced electronically. Again, it's not to say that I don't like electronic music. I, I like a lot of it. But the sounds that are created, once again, tend to be dated. I have this sort of game that I sometimes play with my musician friends where, where we'll pull up a recording and if the person doesn't know it, we'll have them listen to a little bit and try to guess when it was recorded. And with a pretty high degree of accuracy, if you know what you're listening for, especially if you are familiar with recording techniques, you can pinpoint the era, whether it was from the 50s or the mid 60s, if it was in the 80s with gated reverb, there are all these telltale signs about when something was recorded. And even in classical music, you can usually tell, okay, well, this is a very early recording on vinyl. I've spoken in the past about how musicians like Glenn Gould messed a lot with the way that pianos were recorded from different angles, from different distances, even within the same piece. Sometimes he would change the microphone technique for different sections. But still, it has a particular sound of the time. When you're sitting in a concert hall listening to a piano, yes, you could be listening to a Steinway or a Bosendorf or a Yamaha or a Shigeru Kawai. They all have slightly different sounds, but a piano is a piano. Everybody knows it when they hear it. And something about that simplicity really appeals to me, especially as the culture becomes more and more dependent upon technology and the complications of that begin to change the way that the world is. I like the feeling of sitting at a piano and not having to worry about all of the distractions of technology, all of the notifications on my phone, all of the emails that I might receive. It's a little bit like my safe place, somewhere that I can go in the same way that an artist goes to a blank canvas and just create without having to worry about anything else. Now, another reason that I decided to stick with classical music specifically is that I noticed over time that the very definition of what it means to be a classical musician is changing, and I do think that that's a good thing. In my dissertation, I wrote about classical improvisation, the practice of it and the education of it. Unfortunately, in today's world, improvisation has mostly been relegated to the field of jazz. When you talk about improvising musicians, that is the number one field in which one is expected to improvise, and it's an extremely important part of the art. However, in the classical era, improvisation was just as important. Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Chopin, they all improvised from the keyboard. And when you actually read these historical writings, these letters, correspondence, reviews from critics, reviews from the audience, it is oftentimes the improvisation which stuck out most to people as the creative element that made a composer or performer special. 
This attitude began to change around the 1840s when improvisation began to be viewed as too much of the ego in the music and composers began to try to create these total art forms with a lot more detail in the score. One of the differences between earlier genres like Baroque and classical and romantic music is that romantic music tends to have a longer format, a longer arc, more changes of emotion in the piece. And you see this towards the end of Beethoven's life in his later period, which really paved the way for the romantic era in a lot of ways. And it was in his music that he began to be a lot more detailed with the score, a lot more insistent on what must be played and how it must be played. And this is not a bad thing. I would say that most of my favorite pieces actually come from the Romantic era. But I do regret the fact that improvisation does not hold as much importance as it used to. Not nearly as much. In fact, it's been all but totally avoided with just a handful of notable classical musicians who seek to bring back this art form. And it is coming back. And I am very excited that it is coming back. There's definitely a lot more scholarship that has been placed on this field. And more and more people are beginning to realize that improvisation is important. Now, the purpose of this podcast is not to go specifically into my dissertation, but I just want to allude to it, given the fact that I mentioned the definition of a classical musician is changing. So in my recitals, I feel more of a freedom to be able to to improvise, to be able to do these things. And I have found overwhelmingly positive feedback from people. I think that the institution of going to a concert, sitting there, listening to 45 minutes of music, an intermission, then another 45 minutes of music, never hearing from the performer, never hearing them speak, it can get a little bit old. We have to remember that the piano recital was invented by Franz Liszt as an institution. It's, it's not that old in comparison to the rest of the history of classical music. So one of the things that I like exploring is the way that music was historically presented and represented, like the salon concerts in Paris, these house concerts, which were more popular in a way than the concert hall. We're studying about the system of patronage and how music was funded, very vastly different to the way that it is funded today. Or the system of education, how music was taught, again, vastly different to the way that it is taught in today's modern world. Even a lot of what I've been doing with my vlogging or these podcasts or creating recordings with multiple camera angles, this is all an element of what it means to be a classical musician of the 21st century. And I feel like one of the biggest tasks of my generation and those that are younger of classical musicians is going to be how do we present this music to a modern world? Because the music itself hasn't lost its beauty. It's just the way that people have consumed media, consumed entertainment, has changed drastically. Now, as far as newer classical music, I have quite a bit to say on this. Actually, when I was entering into my bachelor's degree, I originally wanted to be a composition major. Primarily, I was inspired by music of the cinema. I wanted to be a film composer and create movie scores. However, when I began to listen to music coming out of these composition departments of a lot of the big-name schools, and I listened to the music of the composition professors, it was something very different than what I wanted to create. And this is something that still to this day bothers me a bit about classical music composition departments. A lot of the music is very heavily focused 
towards an academic audience. I still feel like there are a lot of overtones from the days of the modernists and atonal music, 12-tone music, the likes of Schoenberg or Webern or Berg or Stockhausen, George Crumb, Zanakis, these types of composers, and I have nothing against this music. Some of it I like a lot, but it is certainly not music that has a wide mass appeal. And that becomes problematic when a student graduates and wants to make a living as a composer. In fact, a lot of big-name schools up until recently haven't even offered courses in film composing. I've known several friends who graduated as composition majors. Almost all of them had to work in a different field. And that, I believe, is primarily because they didn't learn how to score for TV shows and video games and movies. And let's be honest, that's really the place where a composer can make a living. Ironically, a lot of the people I knew who did go on to film score did it more as a side project, or they didn't specifically study as a composition major. They just learned how to use these programs. And a lot of what people want to hear is much more simple than the academic approach. Again, this is where I see a pretty sharp deviation between the modern system and how it used to be in the days of the great composers. Because a classical musician was not supposed to be pigeonholed as a performer or a composer or an improviser. It was all of the above. Music as an art form was viewed as having more of a totality of these elements all combined within one. It would be inconceivable for a person to just be a concert pianist and not compose. Even in the days of Liszt and Rachmaninoff and Prokofiev, these great piano virtuosos who had performance careers, they all composed. They expected their students to compose. It's interesting that we have a system which graduates a bunch of musicians who only perform. Now, I know some people make great careers out of this, and good for them, and that's fine. But I do think that training a student in this method is limiting, because what if it doesn't work out? And statistics show that most people who graduate from music school as a performance major will not have a career as a performer. So to not arm students with all the tools necessary to become an actual artist... I think it's a detrimental thing. But given what I've seen, I think this is why I strive to continue forward as a classical musician, and it's why I am excited as a teacher to provide this information, because I, I think it's valuable. I think that it helps people discover who they are as musicians, and I believe that this historical approach, which was seen as the norm for hundreds and hundreds of years until today's era, is actually a much better system. Anyways, these are just a few ideas of why I stuck with classical music. I will continue with part two of this podcast for episode 19. Again, if you like my work, please head over to my YouTube and my social media channels. Be sure to follow me there at josh.v.music or check me out on Patreon at josh.v.music where you can support me financially if you feel so inclined. I post exclusive content there and you will be funding my single piano creation of the Rachmaninoff's Third Concerto as well as exclusive educational content. I have diagrams and PDFs and some performances that you can only find there. Or if you simply follow this podcast, that would help me out tremendously. So thank you all. I love you guys, and I will see you on the next podcast.